Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Well, I'm going to interview Lloyd Selle tonight. And uh, he's written a book called The Dream of an Idol. Where is Lloyd? Is he backstage? Come. The Dream of an Idol, bonus CD included. Yeah. Gosh, couldn't you sell the book or what? No. <laughs> what a blessing to get a book and a CD. Fantastic. Take a seat, Lloyd, Thank and you. I'm going to ask you some questions. We've chatted extensively about your life, and I'm just so glad I didn't wear my jacket with the red stripes <laughs> tonight that you gave me. That would have been a problem. <laughs> so we would, we would look like twins, except yeah. you'd look better. But you've been, you've been on an amazing journey, and uh, I think it could help a lot of people in the room tonight. So I want us just to relax, and we've got 25 minutes to talk. I think that some of the things you've been through can really, really encourage people and uh, inspire them with your persistence, your faith, your determination. Also, God's working in your life. He's yep. done a, quite an amazing thing in your life. So yep. tell me about your background in the book. I read the book, and you talk about how you grew up, how... You walked through townships and saw corpses and the smoke coming off the corpses and yeah, you know, yeah. just stuff like that. Your parents, uh, you, your parents weren't around. Your grandparents raised you. How, how, did, how did you feel growing up in those circumstances? Did you ever believe that you could come second in idols? Uh, that sounds like three questions at one. <laughs> if I can start with just um, my background. My mom was, was 18 years old when she had me and... Obviously, she was still at school, um, and she had to, to drop out of school to, to take care of me. And in that moment, she, um, she managed to obviously give birth to me, and then once that was done, she basically handed me over to my grandparents because she had to go back to school and finish matric. Um, so most of my life, I pretty much did not have her around, and my dad... Um, I think I can say that I was, uh, I was one of those kids that grew up who understood that I was a mistake. Um, you know, they were, they were young and um, they were playing around and just having fun and then, and then that mistake became me. So all, all along I grew up having to think that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a mistake. Um, I'm a product of failure. And that was one of the first things that I had to deal with having to grow up without having to to have my dad around. My dad literally lived about four doors away from the house that I lived in. And yet, I've only been able to see him about maybe three or four times in my entire oh. life. Big so, impact on your life, that, eh? Yeah, it was, it was really difficult. And he, he, he basically had no time for me. And the only memory that I have of him is being drunk, really, really drunk, rolling on the floor, and, and not being there for me. And every time I, I, I had the opportunity to be with him, it was never about me. It was about him and his alcohol addiction. And he had a very, very bad alcohol addiction. And uh, so I, I, I couldn't build that relationship. So my granny became my mom. Um, like I think most of the kids in my generation, I, I saw a lot of kids who were young, born in the 80s. I was born in 1982 in April. And we didn't have our fathers and our mothers around, and our granny became our moms and dad. So um, 
obviously in that time as well, it was a time of apartheid, and it wasn't just about black and white people fighting against each other, but we also had the ANC and the IFP fighting against each other, and we were in the township where we were like right in the middle of that violence constantly. And there were mornings where we would wake up and we'd find people dead on the floor. They would put a tire around their head and they would burn people. Um, there were times where there was a smoke of tear gas in the entire, entire community. And we were told that you just keep pouring water over our face and keep blocking our faces. It was really, really difficult. And, but through it all, in, in those moments of growing up, um, my, my grandparents, did the best that they could. They gave me a, a good education, even though going to school was about six or seven Ks. So we had to literally walk every single morning for about six to seven Ks to get to school back and forth. And, um, and th that was quite a challenge as well. And I remember going to school and one of my friends, I mean, we were little kids, he got knocked by a car. There was no one around and I had to just try to figure out things there and then and people just came around, strangers, and helped us in that moment of time. So. Um, a lot of people kind of ask me why would I write a, a book being somebody who's still young and I feel like I've lived so much and I've seen so much but more importantly I've seen how God has been able to to take me from that brokenness and from that poverty and being able to transform my, my life around and I wanted to write this because I wanted to instill hope and give opportunity to people who are without a voice and to tell them hey there is still a chance for you to fulfill your dreams. Very good. The thing that struck me, obviously knowing you and reading the book, was that you've been through all this stuff, but you're not a victim. You don't strike me as a victim at all. You strike me as someone who's grown up almost privileged or you know, in a, in a good environment. Uh, so it doesn't correlate, actually. So somehow along the, along the way, your strength of character, your determination in life has, has shaped you. Also, your experience has shaped you because... You know, I can relate to growing up without a father, walking to school, all that stuff. Obviously not in the township with those conditions, but that you, you've got to make your way. You kind of like determine what you're going to do. You also lived in an Indian township, didn't you? Yeah, that's How where I met my wife. How did you end up getting you there? <laughs> so, um, so we weren't so segregated after all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we eventually moved out from Phoenix at the age of about 10, 11 years, um, sorry, of Guamashu from about age of 10, 11 years when we moved to, to Phoenix. And we lived in, a town, in, in Phoenix in an area called Unit 2. Now, for those who understand Phoenix, they will know that Unit 2 is one of the most dangerous areas to ever grow up, simply because it has one of the highest rates of drugs and alcohol abuse. One of the places is called the High Chaparral, where it's somebody's house that actually distributes alcohol on a 24-hour basis. And I lived just about a few doors away from there. And I got influenced to that while growing up in my teens. I, I started getting into drugs. I, I started drinking at an early age. I started going to clubbing. There was this thing called matinees where we, we could go to a club during the day on a Saturday. So on a Saturday, I would tell my parents that I'm going to the movies because going to the movies meant I would leave from Phoenix to go to town the only place you could watch a movie was at the BP Center or at the workshop. So you, you, you will have to take a taxi and a bus and it'll take you at least half an hour to 45 minutes. And then obviously the movie is about one and a half hours. And then, so between 12 o'clock till about five o'clock, I would just leave and go to a club, spend all the time and come back home just before it gets dark. And they had no clue where I was. And I would you lie knew, to, You knew you'd never get busted, eh? 
<laughs> no, I never did. I never did get busted. Not until I came home with blood and I got into a fight and it became a, a, little, bit, um, a little bit dodgy. But um, <laughs> Did you meet Janice in the club or did you meet her just no. in the neighborhood? <laughs> I'm a Janice at the church. <laughs> oh, wow. And, um, so tell us about that. You got, you got saved while living in Phoenix? Yes. I did got you go to saved. an Indian church there and get saved there? Yeah. Bef before and I then? got saved. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just like it's vastly different. Cultures are vastly different. And yeah. it's amazing how God can use anything in your life if he wants to reach you. He doesn't need you to be in the ideal place in the ideal time. He'll reach you if, if your heart's open. Yeah. So, so you met Janice at church. How did you end up in church? Um, yeah, how I actually got saved was um, I was part of this this click, this, this, we, we were gangsters. We thought we were, but we were not. <laughs> so, so we had this thing with our friends that if any one of our friends got into a fight, we would be there, you know? We, the terminology would be, I'll jump for you, I'll stand for you. you know? <laughs> There's some people that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, There's a couple of people from Phoenix here tonight. I think there's quite a few. How many people from Phoenix, by the way? Just quickly from, I see if you, oh my oh, gosh. There we go. All right. We have a few. And exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Been there, done that, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, there was a moment where um, we, um, we, we were basically just walking and just myself and a few of my friends and uh, a car drove by from another area, which is from Unit 3. And those people from there, that, those gangs, they were called the Sicilian Godfathers and we used to call ourselves the Young White House Boys. And one... <laughs> the what? <laughs> the Young White House Boys. <laughs> It's a long story. <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> so um, we, we got into a fight with them, and we thought that fight was over until that one night they, they started driving past us, and they started shooting with us with guns, and it was in the middle of the night. And I tried to jump over a fence, and I fell, and I got caught, and I fell down on the floor, and they all grabbed me, and they started beating me up, and they cracked my head quite a bit, and I have a huge skull on my back, on, on my head here. And that night I thought my life was over. And um, I ran back home, I got home, and my mama was like, what's going on, where have you been? My granny, actually. Um, and uh, I said, I, I got into a fight, so she rushed me to Gandhi Hospital, which is like the worst hospital ever created by humanity. You, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but you go in, you come out worse than when you went in. <laughs> um, so, I, um, I realized in that moment that my friends who said that they will always be there for me were not genuine and they were not really, really there for me when I needed them the most because they left me all alone and I could have died. And a few days after that, um, um, somebody told me about Jesus and they invited me to a church which happened to be in a classroom at a church. And, um, and I decided, well, you know, let me just go and give it a try. I went to the classroom and um, they were worshiping and God was there, the presence of God was there and I gave my heart to the Lord and ever since then, I've never looked back. Um, my Thank you. Wonderful. So that, that was the turning point to get to the story about Janice. <laughs> so you met Janice at church after being- I met Janice at church. How long were you there before you met? Um, well- <laughs> Was it pretty soon? Did you like spot her early? I <laughs> I'm trying to help single people here, you're like desperate. <laughs> Give me a word, Lord. Give me a word. How does it work, Lord? Um, 
It was a youth meeting. It was a youth meeting, and she came from another youth club, and we had this uh, integration of youth clubs back in Phoenix. And, um, and I was leading praise and worship that night, and I remember looking at her, and the first thing I saw was actually her legs. <laughs> is Janice here tonight? <laughs> she is, yeah. She's, so, she's somewhere here. Where are you? Babe, are you here? Where is she? Oh, there Janice. she is in the middle there. So, <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> Janice, I think he likes more than your legs now, eh? No. <laughs> but, but I spoke on attraction, and God needs something to work with. <laughs> anyway, tell us. So, um, yeah, uh, the first thing that caught my attention was just her legs. She had amazing legs. I mean, I, I remember till this day everything that she was wearing. So the first thing that we began to speak about was about her shoes. So she was wearing the shoes, which was called a rock pot. And um, uh, because I didn't know what other conversation I could make. So are, you, are you guys listening? This is how it works. <laughs> Women are interested in shoes. So I complimented her on the shoes. And... Um, and Long story short, I found out that uh, she was involved at her church. She, was, she used to lead worship, and she was playing guitar, and she was playing drums. And I found that very rare because when I prayed for, for a partner, I prayed for somebody who was involved at church who was actually a musician and a worship leader. And she was that. Were you singing? I was. I at was. church, you were singing then already? I was singing at church. Did you have aspirations then of being anything, like leading in the church or, or maybe being in, in a secular um, Secular singer? I was an inkling. My, my, my desire for, for the secular and also for worship, um, it, it, it had stages. When it came to, um, to, 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 okay, at the age of nine years old, I, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson and I wanted to be like him. Um, we all did, except we were white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I reckon he was a role model for most people then. Yeah. Oh. He definitely is. He's, he's, he's the best, um, uh, in, my, in my opinion. And um, I used to go to the shopping malls. Back then, it was OK, not ShopRite. They used to call themselves OK. And I used to go outside, and I used to just dance like him, and I make all this noise. <laughs> and Can you show us some of those? <laughs> I, I, I think I've, I've gained a bit of weight. I can't move like that anymore. <laughs> so you kind of had like a dream of fame, like you saw a bit of that in him, and like maybe yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw oh. something and I loved, I, loved, I loved making people feel happy. It wasn't about just entertainment. It was about the joy that people experience when they saw you and when you sing. There was something that happened in their life. It literally, like your face would just brighten up. And, and, and I wanted to do that. And I was never, I was never one of those kids that were like um, shy or scared. And if, if, if any opportunity came, I would be the first one. I would be one picking up my, every other kid would be like, uh, no, no. I was like, why? If it's something you love, just, just do it. So in primary school, I was in a school choir, and I used to sing everywhere. Wherever I had an opportunity to sing, I used to just sing because I love singing. And when I finished school, I wanted to study music, and my mom said, no, I'm not paying for you to go study music. <laughs> so um, It's not that, a real job. Eh? No, she music. told me it's not a real job. She told me I'm going to end up becoming a school teacher. So what year was music. that when you left school? So... Can you remember what year you left school? Uh, 2000. Because 2000, 2000, 2010 yeah. is when you entered Idols, eh? Yes. Yeah, so it was quite a while then. 
What did you do in that period from 2000 to 2010? So from 2000, I, I started software engineering. I ended up with a diploma in software engineering. engineering. Um, and then I went on to web and graphic designing. And then I worked for one of the biggest companies in Mshlanga um, Rocks called Derifco. They do online gambling games, which I'm sure none of us are involved here. Thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> And um, it, it was an incredible position. And then another company came headhunting me because of my ability in terms of web designing and, and so forth. And they gave me an opportunity and I left them. And in that moment of working for, um, for, for that company, I entered Idols. Now, the journey for me to enter Idols was also quite a, uh, an in-depth one. This is just a skeleton. Um, every single year, I had my family and my friends constantly telling me, why don't you go in, into Idols? Why don't you? And I was like, no, man. This is, not, this is not a competition for me. Uh, I, I don't think so. And then, and then one day, I decided to pray. And, 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 and God spoke to me, and I, and I had a conversation with him, and I said, Lord, I want to enter idols. And right now, my only motive for entering idols is because I'm down and out. I'm married, and I have a little child, and I am broke. Um, I have a job, but I've got so many debts, and I don't know what to do. Um, and... And I prayed and I said to him, if this is your will for me and if you want me to, to enter idols, it's either you take me all the way to the end or it must just end immediately. I want to just fail from day one. I don't want to go and put leave for my job and be away for weeks and, and then only to come back disappointed. All of that would have been um, a waste of time. And also, I have a child. I have a family to support. Being away from them, it, it meant a, a huge sacrifice for me. And... So he, he didn't tell me anything, so I, I decided, so well... So you didn't know what was going to happen? I didn't know. I had no Were you clue. in one of those long queues that, like, you spent uh, the whole yes. day? I was there from 4 o'clock in the morning. And obviously you see people coming out looking like they're going to commit suicide, eh? <laughs> <laughs> You're, like, thinking, okay, I'm next. It, it, it is quite a lot of pressure there, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it happens over a period of three days, and by the time you actually get to the part where everything gets televised, it's, it's been days and days of, of, of activities. So it's not So you kind of know whether you're going to make it to that or not? No, you never know. Every never day, know. It's, it's just uh, different, d different people that you meet who, who look at your vocal ability, but they also look at what story that you have um, so that we can create something. So um, fortunately for me, um, I think- they're they really looking for a product, eh? They were looking for they're a product. They're not just looking for a voice. Absolutely. It's like a whole package. Yeah. You got the whole package. <laughs> so um, I, I entered Idols, and um, uh, they had a great story about me and my family and me having to leave work and, and having to be a part of the this, this show and my desire for music ever since I was a little kid. And um, I've, I've tried, basically. I mean, I used to bask. I used to sing at weddings. I used to sing at restaurants. And wherever I had the opportunity to sing, I used to grab it just to make an extra income. And they ran with that story. And God was with me, especially when I got to the top four. That's when God really started speaking to me, um, especially when, when I had a lot of negativity. Um, I mean, you have people that love you, but not everybody loves you. Not especially everybody when you excel. You. As soon as you excel, you discover who really likes you. Yeah. Remember I did that message with the network pastors on how not to resent the success of other people? Yeah, yes. People often resent you when you suddenly rise above them. They're quite happy for you until you get too yeah, far ahead of you them. Yeah, so you better pull you back out. Absolutely. And, and that's what happened to me as well. And also the judges comment, I mean, um, on TV you look like you're happy, you, you're fine and you're smiling. But when you leave that stage, you are crushed. Especially when Randall tells you something negative, <laughs> you, 
you have sleepless, sleepless nights. You, you cannot stop thinking but, about but it. But some people on there, they're like, this always amazes me, they're like singing like they're in the shower somewhere. And then when they get told you can't make it, they're like, no, we'll make it. <laughs> what is that, like mental disturbance or something? <laughs> anyway, true. We, we got a time limit. You, you, you did so well. What fascinates me, and I think will help people here, is you ended up in the top two, and, and was it the top four, and you ended up with you, and is it Elvis Blue? It was myself, in the, uh, myself Elvis Blue, and Cindy Nenewe in the top three. And, and, and you, you don't know, because it's all voting, eh? You can't really it's tell all how voting. it's going to turn out. Yeah. When, but it was quite wonderful how you guys shared the prize. You, you, you and he agreed that if he won, he'd share the prize with you. If you won, you'd share the prize with him. Yeah. Pretty amazing. It actually, we were um, on El Goa FM, and um, they joked about it, and this was still in, in the top four. Um, and Elvis and I were roommates, and we clicked very well together because we were the only contestants who were married and the only contestant that, that had a baby as well. And um, so after the interview, we got back into our room and we're like, dude, you know, I think this is actually a, a really good idea. Why don't, we do, why don't we give it a thought? And we decided, well, let's do that because then if we both end up in the top two, we've risked so much, we've come so far, and we both have families, then at least we would have walked out with something rather than with nothing. Don't and you think that's great, Church? Pretty amazing, eh? Um, so, so we had to obviously get permission to do that, even though it was a decision that both of us were happy with, but... Um, we had Ford, which was one of the sponsors, and also Mnet was one of the sponsors. So the, the, the prizes had to come from both of them, and they had to approve it. So we spoke to the director of the show, and he spoke to them, and got back to us, and we're like, you guys got the go-ahead. You can do that. And, and that was God. And Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing indeed. Um, we've, we've got a time limit. You, um, after winning that, you went on the circuit. You've sung all over the place. I mean, you're on radio and TV. You did concerts and so on. And then you came and sung for us at a hot winter night like this. Oh, yes. You did a hot winter night one Sunday. And, um, and I think Janice liked the church. I'm not sure if you did, but she decided she was coming here <laughs> with the kids. And yeah. so did you kind of like decide, you're well, okay, I've got no choice. I'll have to come to Rivers. Well... The, the, the journey, to, to be honest, I never heard about rivers. Um, I'm, I'm a Durbanite, so when I came here, I, I, I still drive with my GPS on everywhere, even though I've been here for nine years. Um, and, and this was in 2015, and hot winters are very, very special, because every time it's hot winter, I always think about the first day that I came in Middle Earth, and I was even wearing a vest. I could not believe it. I actually wore a vest on the platform. <laughs> I think you got the body to pull it off, so <laughs> Thank I think God. attendance swelled that night because we had mostly women in church. So it just <laughs> then they found out you were married, then went back to normal attendance again. Well, um, and I wasn't ready to 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 commit. So um, God started speaking to my wife first, and the moment he, he she, usually does, yeah, because <laughs> he speaks to us, and we're like, "What? What did you say, Lord? I'm I'm not sure." Um, so. She, she really, from, from day one, she felt that God has called us to be here. And she saw something and she felt something that was very, very unique in here. And we've been around many, many churches. I mean, I've been invited to, to so many churches to, to lead worship, to sing. But there was something really different about being here. And um, we didn't actually check our kids in at Kids Zone because we had no clue about that. So I had our kids with us and they were quite disruptive. But they enjoy church so much. And when we got back home, they kept talking about church. And when your kids start speaking, and then your wife also starts speaking the same language, and God is trying to tell you something, 
So here I was every single week, I'm messaging Pastor Devin. I'm like, Pastor Devin, I'm thinking of coming back. I want to come visit. This time I just want to, I don't want to do anything. I just want to be here and I just want to receive from God. And every week that I got here, every word that you spoke was for me and for my family. Literally every single word. Um, I, th I think that's because you came with a, you, you came with a, I don't want to say this, you came with a humble spirit. They came as a family open to be planted in a church, not looking for another gig or an opportunity, even though that's what he does, he sings. But uh, I, I remember, and, and um, you, you then ended up joining Rivers and so on, and then you wanted to be involved in the worship team, and we said, great, but you didn't end up singing as a frontline singer. You were in the choir for it three put me months. in the choir. <laughs> so, so he who came second in Idols went into the choir for three months, because that's what we do. Because it's not just your talent. See, people miss this. They see Lloyd leading the services on different campuses and so on. And so they go, oh, well, yeah, I, I need to, you know, if I can win idols and I also get into maybe Rivers or Rama or somewhere. No, no, no. It's about heart attitude and serving God's people. Absolutely. Because I recognize something about you. Um, and I mentioned to some of the staff we were talking. And I said, he's not just talented. He knows how to lead people in the presence of God when you did Hot Winter Nights. Now, because of the time, and we, we've got to cut it short, you came, on, you came on staff, and I want people to know this, you made a massive sacrifice to come on staff. You, you didn't come into a celebrity position on staff, even though you're leading worship and so on. It's a big sacrifice to be on staff at Rivers. Absolutely, it was and, huge. And, and God does bless you, and he does provide, and people do bless you, and when you travel, and when you, you have things outside and so on. But generally, it's, it was a big sacrifice. Maybe you could speak about that, because I think people don't see that side they only see the end product after several years yeah. of journey. Uh, he drives that car. He's on the stage. Gee, it must, that must be a rich church. I don't always talk just a little bit about that. Yeah, the, the decision for me really took a very, very long time to, to actually become on staff. And um, it, it was a huge one for me. And the, the, the first time I started hearing God speak to me about it, I, was, I kept pushing it away. And I, I kept pushing it aside. And Eventually, I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't push it anymore because I couldn't push it away anymore because every time I stood here and I was here, I felt this is where I belong. There was something that I, that I felt that, that was far better than singing in front of thousands of people out there or even singing at stadiums or wherever those gigs take me. Um, but what I felt here gave me purpose and, and gave me a reason for life that this is what I was born to do. And so the first step was for me was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure about it. I have no clue what it looks like. Maybe I want to just take one step at a time. And fortunately enough, uh, with the help of, of Kogi more especially, and um, even um, uh, Pastor Paulette, who came around me and helped me understand, you know, that we can make it work, but this is how we can journey through it. And they advised me, they counseled me, and they... And then eventually we, we, we got to where we are. But it hasn't been easy. It's been a lot of prayers. It's been a lot of fasting. It's been a lot of back and forth with my wife as well, just trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean? What do we have to change? What do we have to put aside? Or what are the sacrifices and, that we have to make? And we have made a lot of sacrifices to be here. And I can confidently say that I do not regret any one of those sacrifices. It has been the most rewarding and most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. It's awesome. Well, I want to say we appreciate you and Janice and your family and the commitment and the sacrifices that you make on an ongoing basis to, to enable us, because this is a team effort that we do. This takes a lot of work, a lot of practice, a lot of rehearsing. The excellence is not an accident. It's intentional. 
In closing, what would you say to any person who's maybe sitting here tonight who's talented, wishes or has got a dream? Maybe they've watched Michael on, on stage and thought this is it for me. What would you say to them if they're born-again Christians, committed, but they've got this gift? Can, what, I, can I say something I learned this morning? Hmm? It's never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> It's, 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 it's never too late to start. It's never too late. I mean, this morning you, you, you shared about this one lady who started doing DJing uh, over 80 years old, and that blew my mind into pieces. I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. And there was another woman who, who decided to do the marathon at, at over 80 years old, and that, that was incredible. So I, I know it's, it, it sounds like something I just picked up from this morning, but it really is the fact um, it is the truth. It's never too late for you mm. to actually decide to do something incredible about your, your dreams and about your life and about your career, or whatever you, it is that you desire. I think one of our biggest limitations is fear. Mm. We're scared. Sure. Um, when, when I was scared to ask Janice out. It took me two years to ask her out. Uh, it was really tough because we were in a community where people, there were no black and Indian couples around. And people looked at me strange. We couldn't even hold hands because every time we held, held, we held a hand, somebody would look at us. And, you know, people can tell you a lot just by looking at you. So um, it it's, it's really has been a lot of fear trying to push me back. But when I learned to step out of fear and step out of my um, moments of feeling scared and really just throw myself into trusting God and having faith, a lot of things change in my life. Would you say plugging into church would be a key thing instead of trying to like pursue a career? Absolutely. Stay rooted Absolutely. in the house and then see what God opens up? I think, I think one of the best things that happen about plugging into church is that you realize that you don't walk alone in this journey. You have people that love and support you and that pray with you that are genuine because this world is full of fakes. It's full of people who constantly tell you and make you promises, but those promises are void. Right. And in church, you find people that are like-minded, people that are grounded, and people who really want to help you become something and someone in life. And, and, and that's what serving does. It, 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 it really plants you into the house of God, and you, you become part of that culture as well, and that changes you. It changes not just your life, but your family as well begin to change. My kids have grown so much, and, and, it, and all of that affects your business. It affects your careers. It affects your schoolwork. Everything begins to, to blossom and grow. Um, that's the beauty of it, I think. Well, yeah. I, I wanted to say this as we close, that you came here as a singer, but you've ended up a son. And uh, we Thank appreciate you, you and Janice. And uh, we're super glad to have you on staff, on team. You're a massive asset to us. We love your spirit. We love your attitude, both you and Janice and your family. And we believe our best days are yet ahead in Jesus' name. Thank you, Thank you for sharing tonight. You can get a copy of Lloyd's book. He'll be in the foyer to sign them. And so uh, go to one of the resource centers, get a copy. The story is very interesting and it'll certainly inspire you. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 